0: Amen. Well, welcome this morning. Um, before before we really get started, I just uh, I want to acknowledge a couple of things. Being a church plant um, means that uh, a lot of stuff has to happen like unconventionally, and and a lot goes into what we do. And I think we're like there's a lot of examples of that going on this week like Wednesday we had a concert up here and uh that was primarily on the back of the glitzes so Josh and Jessica like they got that person and they and they organized it and put stuff out and and really it it came together because of them and um you you've seen a product of uh of that up here this morning and that it's our it's our people that um aren't getting paid and are, are just wanting to serve God up here leading us in worship and, and doing it so well, and, and um, you know, we call on them a lot to do that. And um, just another, you know, another way that, that we see it kind of played out is through our pastor, and um, I got a text this morning from Tim, and he's like, hey, um, you know, we obviously knew he was on call, so I was already planning to be up here, but hey, I got called in, don't know if I'll make it to men's bible study I'll probably make it to church and then a text later on like hey stuff is worse than I thought I'm not going to make it to church and so you know being a being his nine to nine to back a, to nine again job that he has um away from here is uh a detective and, and a police officer and so that it requires a lot of him and when he gets called in it's you know it's always for something dark it's it's a bad day it's, <coughs> he's probably talking to somebody who this is the their worst day and um but there's something beautiful in in having a church like that where uh everybody's busy everybody has stuff every everyone has things going on but people just come together to to serve god and uh it's it's really cool i'm i'm really grateful to be a part of a of a church that works that way and um, again not to not to say that there's anything wrong or, or disparage like churches that have the ability to to have someone that's full-time vocational pastor we had that at one point we will hopefully have that again but for the season that that we're in right now it's really cool to see God calling people who have stuff uh, going on to to step up and, and serve uh, I had a conversation a, a few weeks ago with with somebody and uh, they're like, so you're like, you're an associate pastor at this church. Well, like, what qualifies somebody to to do that? And I said, well, for one, I'm not like, I'm not. Uh, But God calls like God calls you where you are to do something so that he can be the one to do it. Because we can't do it. Like, it's not us. It's not through our power. It's not because we're more squared away or haven't figured out it's because god calls us and then he does it and i think it's really cool to be part of a family of believers that uh, that we get to see so many examples of that so often so i just i didn't want that to go unsaid before we started today but let's uh, let's pray and then we'll jump into the scripture god thank you for uh thank you for giving us a church home and thank you for calling people Uh, to step in and and fill the gaps that that are needed and and to serve you. Thank you for those opportunities. God, I pray that um, you continue to bless us and you continue to call people uh, here and call them to to their place and uh, that we would constantly be seeking you and and ways to serve you. God, I pray as we open your word, you would uh, speak to us and fill us up, make us different, and uh, shape us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, I pray. All right, well if you will turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, uh, we will continue our study, uh, and we're in chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 5 through 14, and so uh, let's go ahead and start off by reading those, and then we'll take a step back and and then jump back in. So, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 5. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when uh, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved the righteous and hated the wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Amen. Uh, so the the first thing that, that I kind of want to establish here, and this like this is sort of a side note, so you get this for free. Um, just that uh, you can just take it and walk away with put it in your pocket. Um, the writer of Hebrews here, and he He's talking about about Jesus, and he's basically laying out this case for why Jesus is who he says that he was. And he begins by this comparison to angels. And so um, he is going to prove his point using Scripture, and that's essentially what what we're looking at here. Um, So the the way that, just to let you peek behind the curtain, that... uh, that we work here oftentimes is uh, we'll sit down, we'll decide, you know, a book of, of the Bible will be decided and Tim and I will sit down over a course of several meetings and and we'll divide out, okay, it makes sense to, to break the scripture out this way. And then we just go by weeks with a calendar, we're gonna do, hey, we're gonna do these scriptures on this on these weeks. And then we go back over that and we look at Tim's on call schedule and, and schedule for those days and then uh, other points to give him a break here or there, and, and that's kind of how we divide it out. And so, it's not a it's not a matter of like, hey, I'd really like to do this one, or you can do that one. Or uh, there there have actually been, uh, I think, at least three separate occasions where I have preached a passage that Tim has tattooed on his body. So uh, <laughs> uh, if we're like, it's we're not going by favorites. It's just kind of how the calendar works. Um, but for me, I, uh, you know, I'll look ahead and, and get the passages that that I'm going to preach on, and I just read them through several times. I'll just make a point of of taking a week and just and just reading them through every morning. And I have to be honest; when I first read these verses, it was it, it kind of hits you right, and you're like, what, like what's happening? What is going on? And and you know, a lot of times you can read it and be like, okay, this is what this passage is about. I got it. And but these like. It seems kind of all over the place, but what's happening here is the writer of Hebrews is taking people back to scriptures that they know that are proving this point. That Jesus is who he says he is, and he's pointing this out from scripture, which tells us a, a couple of things. One, that the messages that we hear and that we digest, they have to be backed up. By scripture and scripture not just taken from a point here there but but a consistent theme of scripture and it's why we study uh, the way we do we walk through verse by verse so that we see it all and we can gain a bigger understanding and then the second thing that that we kind of pull from this is is that the Old Testament is not uh, it is a complete story of redemption like the Bible is a story of redemption it's a story about how great God is from the very beginning. When he created everything, to the very end, when he will create a new heaven and new earth, it's a story about how good God is, and it's one collective story. It is not a series of restarts. Because if we're not careful, we can look at it and we go, okay, he created, and then sin came in, and it all got messed up, so he had to shift his plan. And then the world got really bad, and and he had to shift his plan again with Noah. And then things got off the rails again, he had to shift his plan with Moses and then and if we're not careful what we can see it as this constant restart and so we'll go, well we don't need the old testament because because we have the new and so we really don't need that. We don't need to study it. We can move past. But if, but if we really understand scripture and, and what it is, it's this complete story, constantly building where God is showing us the way and he's building us this way back to reconnect to him. By his power and him doing it. And so it's important for us to see that. And that's and that's what the writer of Hebrews here is doing. He's taking back scripture and he's laying out this case that Jesus is better than the angels. And that, that would be very significant to the readers of Hebrews because they would understand that angels were eternal beings um, that God had created that... Um, wouldn't have an end and they were they were in essence the facilitator of the old covenant so if you think about um the interactions with angels like the uh we see an angel come into play when when adam and eve are kicked out of the garden and and god like god confronts them on their sin he tells them the consequence of their sin. He sacrifices a sacrifice for them, and then he makes them leave the garden. And he places an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance of the garden to keep them from coming back in. And then we see uh, we see other angels come into play. Like we, when we study Genesis, we saw uh, two angels go and rescue Lot and his wife out of uh, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then those two angels went and destroyed those cities and so you think of the power of of that kind of being where two two angels can go and just lay waste and wipe two cities off off the face of the earth and we see other instances where Elisha is is with his servant and uh, his servant is uh, the their city is surrounded and his servant is kind of freaking out and going like what how are we going to do this and Elisha prays and God opens the eyes of a servant and he sees this army of angels surrounding them and, and understands that, that God is in control. And so to the writer of Hebrews, angels were this very powerful being that were the facilitator between, between themselves and God. And so when trying to figure out what to do with Jesus, if if they were to set them in a place of equality to Jesus, they would they would miss the point, right? They would be off. And, and so he lays out this case. And so that, that's where we come to today. So let's just start in verse 5, and we'll kind of break down verse by verse. For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, I have begotten you. Or again, I will be, a fa- I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And this is taken uh, from Psalms chapter two, verse seven. I will, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said, "You are my son. Today I have begotten you." So he's going back and and he's saying, Jesus is better than an angel. He's higher than an angel. He's supreme to an angel because he is the son of God. At no point did God ever say to an angel, "You're my son. You are like. You're my heir. You are a part of me." Only did he say that to Christ. Uh, then in verse 6, uh, again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Now, uh, we see many instances of this uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Uh, it says this, and suddenly there was with uh, the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. These angels uh, were worshiping Christ at his birth. And we see this. This is um, in the beginning of Luke, the angels coming to the shepherds and worshiping Christ here uh, to declare him God. And, and angels would not worship other angels. Okay? And so the, the writer is making that, that point of uh, Christ is the object of the angels' worship, so he has to be supreme to them. Um, verse 7. And of angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. They were created to be ministers. They were created to serve God, to serve his purpose. And so um, they are different because they were created for this function. Whereas Christ was not created, he always was. He was with God in the beginning and, and always existed. So he wasn't made to serve the way that angels were made to serve. And he was, they are ministers, and that's their purpose. They serve that purpose. In Psalms 100, uh, 104, verse 4, it says he makes his angels winds, his ministers a flaming fire. It's, it's again this, uh, this idea. And then verses 8 and 9, but of the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, put a, put a pin in these two. We're going to come back to verses 8 and 9. Uh, but for right now, uh, let's continue on. Verses 10, 11, and 12. And the Lord, <clears throat> and you, Lord, lay the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, and like a garment they will be changed But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So he's saying here, and and we'll see in Psalms 102, verses 25 through 27, of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. So saying of Christ, he was... There, at the beginning, he was part of creation. We saw, when we walked through Colossians, we saw this uh, there as well, that, that Christ, in the writer of Colossians, Paul refers to Christ as the firstborn of all creation, not saying that he was created, but that creation started with him. And through him, all things are held together. And so we see here that Christ was the creator. And so if he was the creator, he was part of creating the angels so clearly he is supreme to them because he created them. They can't become better than the, than the one who created them. And so we see Christ as the creator and his glory there. Uh, verses 13 and 14 say this, And to which of the angels has he said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And they are, not, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Uh, Psalm 110, verses 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So he's, again, referencing this psalm, talking about God (coughs) saying to Christ, Come sit at my right hand. So he's saying to his son, I'm going to put you in this exalted position where you're going to sit at my right hand because your work is complete. And never at any point in Scripture do we see an angel sit down. Because their work is never done. They're constantly serving. They're constantly going. Because that's what they're created for, for that purpose. But we see if Christ, after, he, after he's risen from the dead and he ascends to heaven, he sits down at God's right hand because his work is complete. It's finished. It's over. He's done. And so he is superior to angels because of this. So let's go back uh, to verses 8 and 9, and I want us to understand this because this is really the crux of not only today, like the point of today, but really of Hebrews is right here. But but of the Son, he says, "Your Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your throne, O God. So if you're wondering who Christ is, it is very definitively declared right there, God said, your throne, O God. So this is God speaking to Jesus, referring to him as God. And that's the most important place where we have to land because that's where, like, that's the crux of it, right? Is who is Jesus? Uh, if you will, turn with uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Uh, I want us to look... Uh, very quickly at at the transfiguration. um, I've heard a couple pastors say, and I would agree with them, like this might be one of the most loving and best miracles that that Jesus performed on his time on earth. And uh, we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 17 of Matthew. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said, Lord, this is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So Jesus takes Peter and James and John, like the three of his disciples that he were he was closest to, and he takes them up on a mountain, and he shows them who he really is. And Moses and Elijah come, and he's having this conversation with Moses and Elijah, and Peter goes, Hey, this is really good, like, let's let's get three tenths and one for each, and then God immediately steps in and declares who Jesus is. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so he's essentially saying there, nothing matters as much as this right here. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And we see it in this. The Lord said, Jesus is God, and that seems like an obvious thing. And that seems like if you know, if I if I asked you if, when I saw you in the parking lot as you were walking in, if I asked you, "Is Jesus God?" You would have said, "Yeah, Jesus is God." And you said, "Jesus G, is Jesus who He says." And you went, "Yeah, yeah, He is. Of course." Like I'm, I got up early on a Sunday morning when it's a thousand degrees in Texas, and I came like I put on uncomfortable clothes and came to church. Like, yeah, I believe that He's God. But do you really? Because if he is who he says he is, that changes the way that we look at the world. It changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we walk. And that's why Jesus did this for those three disciples, because he knew that they would need to start the church, and he knew the kind of belief they would have to have and the kind of faith that they needed to be able to walk that out and to be able to start his church. They needed to know who he was. Uh. J.D. Greer tells, um, uh, gives this great example of, of a person. And if you were to ask, like, if you were to ask somebody, hey, like, how are you today? And they're like, you know, I'm kind of okay, but I just got run over by a truck. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I stepped out on the highway and this big truck just ran right over me. They'd be like, no, like, you clearly didn't, or you wouldn't be standing here. You, like, you would be changed. And the same is true of Christ. If you understand who Christ is, and what he did for you and how that impacts your life you will forever be changed. And that's what the writer of Hebrews here is trying to convey that Christ is better than an angel he's supreme and if you under because he understands that if you understand who Christ is then everything else will fall into place. And you will understand that that the need for ritual and, and the need to check boxes and, and the need for those kinds of things will go away, and the, and the need to feel a certain way or the need to have an appearance uh, of having it all together, or or all of those kinds of things that we get bogged down in will all go away and fade away and cease to be, and all the all the other ancillary things that we caught up get caught up in, like greed or or self-worth, or uh, or even like feeling sorry for ourselves, like getting wrapped up in pity and, and self-focus, will all go away if we can only understand who Jesus is. And so that's what I want for us, and that's why we're studying Hebrews, and we're going to continue to see this over and over again, I don't know if you have—I don't know if you have people in your life that repeat the same things all the time. And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, we got it, like, we get it, we get it, we get it." Tim and I are going to be those people, <laughs> so like, just get ready because we're going to walk through Hebrews verse by verse, and Hebrews is essentially going to tell us over and over and over again that Jesus is supreme to everything else. So that's what I want us to walk away with. Let's pray, and then we're going to worship some more. Uh, and uh, everybody grab a donut on your way out uh, God thank you for loving us enough uh, to come and and walk among us and save us to restore us and our connection to the father God I pray that uh, we wouldn't lose sight of that that we wouldn't uh, that we wouldn't get caught up in ourselves and what we have going on and miss what you have for us. God, I pray that we would worship you with all of our hearts through this last song and we would walk away and live a life that tells people we know who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.